Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. You guys are all in the right place tonight. You know, I was driving in and I'm thinking, look at this building, this Awaken Church building that used to be, it's in the city of San Marcos, first of all. And it used to be a furniture store here. So there used to be furniture in here, which is the handiwork of a carpenter. And here we are on the corner of Rancho Santa Fe, Rancho Santa Fe, and Descanso. And Rancho Santa Fe means ranch of holy faith. Descanso means rest. So here, the handiwork of a carpenter is seeking rest in the ranch of holy faith. But as I'm pulling in, I've never noticed this before. I pull in and the number of the building is 1760. That's the address here. And I thought, wow, that's our area code. So if you're going to communicate with somebody and you're going to make a call, you first have to give the area code to locate and focus your communication. Now, biblically, the number one represents unity with God. The number seven is completion. One and seven, if you put those together as 17, that's complete and total victory over the enemy. The number six is man, and zero, of course, is nothing, because man is nothing without complete victory in unity with him. Friends, you're in the right place tonight. Hey, we're one week to emerge. Where's my emerge men? Hey, now, men, if your life has been radically transformed by a murder, not like, hey, cool conference, bought the t-shirt, what's for dinner, but like your life was radically transformed by a merge. Would you raise your hand? Yeah, yeah. Now, cherished ladies, where's the cherished ladies? Oh, hey. Now, if you have a man in your life that has been radically transformed by a merge, would you raise your hands? Yeah. Amazing. So I do that. I say that to say, man, if you're not registered for Emerge, just, just sign up. Because honestly, if you want your life to change for the better, there's, there's no better place than to be at, at Emerge. It is, it is a life change. It's like nothing else. There's not much that I can say more about it than it is like nothing else. And the title is of, of this year of the, the, the conference is Valor. And I love it because if you look up the definition of valor in the dictionary, it, it says a man, or excuse me, a person that expresses a high level of courage, especially on the field of battle. Now, of course, men, we think, yeah, we're going to be standing in the field of lentils, like, like hacking people down, you know, like in the movies. Or we're going we're gonna to sneak down into the enemy camp, risking our, our life you know, to go to the well of water amongst like special operations and fill up that jug of water and come back because Pastor Jesse's thirsty, <laughs> right? That's the battle of their time. The battle of our time is a battle of the heart and mind. It's a battle of flesh and, it's not a battle of flesh and blood. And Ephesians 6, 12 
says it's not, we battle against principalities and powers, these spiritual hosts of darkness in heavenly places. So our battle is a spiritual battle. But yet in that definition, we talk about courage. Well, courage, you gotta have fear to express courage. It's part of the definition of courage. But courage and, and valor are synonymous. But how many know, like you can have a whole lot of courage and walk into a business deal, but if you don't have some skill behind you, it could be a bad day financially for you. Or if you don't know jujitsu and you're going to go get on a mat with my daughter, my 12-year-old Savannah, she's going to tear your arm off in about three minutes. <laughs> or, or Eric Raftery, if he's around, he's going to choke you out in a matter of seconds if you don't have some skill behind the courage. So there has to be more to living a life of valor than just having courage because if you just have the courage, doesn't mean you're going to have some success. So let's talk about living a life of valor. The dramatic reveal. Ooh, nice. Epic media team. Now, ladies, I haven't forgot about you. There's plenty of great examples of women of valor in the, in the Bible. There's Ruth. Ruth is a great example. Okay, there's, there's uh, uh, Queen Esther, another great example of a, a mighty woman of valor. And of course, there's Mary Magdalene. What, a, what an incredible example of a woman of valor. Now, the principles that I talk about tonight as it relates to living a life of valor apply to women and men equally. The only two genders, by the way. Just saying, just saying. So even though we're going to talk about some masculine examples because it's Emerge Week, understand that these principles apply to the ladies as well. So we're going to start by talking about David. Before he was King David, when he was just the shepherd boy. So he's out in the field, you know, he's, his Papa Jesse, he's got eight, eight sons, David's the youngest. He's out in the field, the oldest are, you know, serving in the army, but David's out in the field. It's almost like you think, you know, Papa Jesse said, sent him out there and said, maybe the lions will get him. You're not really sure, but you kind of pick some stuff up as you read these stories. But David's out in the field and he's, he's doing what his father asked him to do. He's doing it at a high level of skill. He's pouring everything into learning how to tend his flock. He's doing it with a level of excellence. And he's also learning some skills that are going to serve him later on in life. He's learning leadership skills. Because how many of you know if you're leading people, it's kind of like herding sheep sometimes. Just saying. But also, as he's out there, he's also starting to develop this relationship with the Lord. He's starting to commune with the Lord. He's starting to, to develop this ongoing love of the Lord, where he fills his heart with joy. And as he does that, he starts wanting to worship. So he's going to pick up some stringed instruments, and he's going to start playing. Now, a harp and a lyre seems kind of weird to us these days. So let's just say he had a six-string guitar. We'll just modernize it a little bit. But you get the point. He's out there and he's, he's learning a skill day after day, week after week. And for the worship team, if you guys know learning an instrument, sometimes it's repetitious, it's boring, it's monotonous, but the passion for it keeps you going. So he's also learning how to, how to worship, how to have a heart after the Lord, why he's spending this time, these hot summer days and these cold winter nights out in the field. And now he also picks up another pastime. He starts 
flicking rocks, you know, like kind of bored flicking them across the, across the stream. Maybe he grabs a couple rocks and throws them at the sheep and gets them like, you know, gets a little laugh out of that, right? But then he gets a sling and he starts hucking rocks and he starts getting pretty good at it. Starts having some fun with that. Starts getting faster and faster and faster. And he's doing it and he's getting better and more accurate. And he's developing another skill that's going to serve him very well here shortly. Now, as we read these stories, we realize that there's some time that passes. There could be like a decade that passes here. Because now when we reintroduce into, the, into 1 Samuel chapter 17, it says that Papa Jesse's getting pretty old. Okay? And he says, hey, let me go grab my Aaron, I mean my son David, and let's have him come on in here and grab some food and take it up to the older brothers who are actually doing some meaningful work up in the army. And he says, hey, I want you to take all this bread and this grain and these cheeses and go ahead and, and go on up there and then collect the good news about your brothers when you're up there and come back and tell me how awesome they are. And he says, yes, sir, as you wish. So he grabs his stuff, grabs a helper, he goes cruising on up. And as he's walking up to the, to the, uh, to the, the fields up there, they're starting the battle. The, the battle is raging. It's, it's getting ready to happen. And we got the Philistines on one side of the hill, and we got the Israelites on the other side of the hill, and we got the valley in the center, and there's Goliath piping off. And it says for 40 days he's been piping off. And here's all these tough guys standing around, doing nothing. That's a story for another time. And here comes David, and, it, and you almost get the sense that Saul is, 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 King Saul is frustrated because he has to up the ante. He has to say, here's the stuff I'm going to give if you go out and kill this guy. And so then he starts, you hear the people, like as David's walking up, and he's, he's hearing what the new, the new uh, gift is going to be. He's going to have lavish riches, the equivalent of being a billionaire in today's, in today's currency. But yet, also, not only is he going to have abundant wealth, my favorite, he ain't never paying taxes again. Take some of that. No taxes. And then as a bonus, he gets to marry the wife. He gets to marry into the royal family. And so now at this time, David's probably 15 to 18 years old. You imagine he's cruising up and he goes, wait, let, let me get this straight. I have to do one job. One time. It's going to take me five minutes to do. And it's going to pay me so much money, I don't ever have to work again. And I don't have to pay taxes. And I get to marry the king's daughter. And life is good. I'm in. And if I die, so what? But if I live, whoo, I got my, it's made. I got it made. Like, why wouldn't I do that? So he's going up and he's like, is that really what King Saul said? Is that really what he said? Is that really what he said? And then his older brother hears him, and he gets all mad at him. Yeah, yeah his older brother. Now Eliab, and we're at verse 28, 1 Samuel 17, verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know the pride and the insolence of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. Now if you go back, we go back over to chapter 16. You remember Samuel's there to anoint the, the, the new king. 
And Eliab comes in and he goes, surely this is God's anointed. I mean, look at this man. I mean, he's like perfect. And God says, no. So you guys look on the outside and I see what's in his heart. And here we find out what's in his heart. He's projecting on David. The thing that I find interesting is because the time in the field where David was communing with the Lord, he had the identity of God, not the identity that his brothers and his father had given to him. So when this happens, he just goes, he goes, what? I can't speak my mind? What do you mean I can't say, what, I can't say it? And he carries on. Hey, did, they, did, did King Saul really say that this is what we're going to do? So much to the point where King Saul hears about it, invites him on in. And, he's, and then, of course, King Saul looks at him and goes, oh, dude, you're just a kid. Like, get out of here. This guy's been a warrior since he was a kid. And he goes, you have no idea who you're talking to. I love, I love David. It's so bold. He goes, you have no idea. I spent all this time out in the field, a decade or more out in the field, just doing the same thing every single day. And if a lion would come up, I would kill it. If a bear would come up, I'd grab it by the beard and I'd cut its head off. And you know what? I got Big Papa behind me and you're gonna find out that he's saved me from the lion and the bear and you're gonna find out there's a God in Israel. And King Saul goes, as you wish. So now we roll out into the battle. And here's where we're gonna start talking about like living a life of valor. This is kind of the backstory. But here comes King David, you know, and they're gonna put on the armor and he goes, no. He goes, no, I don't want any of that. He's such a bad dude. I love it. I love it. He's such an emerge man. He goes, I don't want any of that stuff. Give me my shepherd's staff, the thing that I use every single day. I'm going to go grab five stones. I'm going to put them in my pocket, and I'm going to take my sling, and I'm going to walk out there in jeans and a T-shirt, just like I'm emulating right now with absolutely no notes, walking out into the field of battle and going, here I am. And so him and Goliath, they go piping off at each other. And I wish, you know, like when you go to the movie and you hear like, the world's about to end and only one man can stop him. You know the voice that I'm talking about? It's in every preview movie. I want to hear him do the dialogue of David and Goliath. Just, yeah! He's so good. So there he is piping off. But you know what's interesting is as he runs out into the field of battle, you can imagine there's thousands and thousands of warriors just doing this chant and here's this 15 or 18-year-old kid that runs out there in, an, in just an incredible example of courage. Courage. And here we are, the valor and the courage. And then he runs up to the enemy line, and they go piping off, and he goes, yeah. And he releases that stone, the first one. And if you study like what they call a, a slinger, back in biblical days, they would wind that thing up and release it. And that, that stone would be about the size of a golf ball. And it would leave the sling at about 75 miles an hour. And it would travel for 300 feet before it would lose any speed. And they were so accurate that they could throw that thing and hit a soda can off of a fence post at 300 feet away. So he releases that stone and that thing the size of a golf ball goes flying at 75 miles an hour and hits Goliath square in the eyes, and he collapses under his weight. In an incredible example of mastery and skill. Point number two, mastery and skill. Then, after that, he sprints across the field, pulls out the, the giant sword, 
and hacks off the head and holds it up in a feat of victory, expressing incredible strength. And then what he does for the next number of years, of course, he becomes an instant celebrity, so much so that Saul can't stand him and wants him dead. But he spends the next number of years in hiding, but completely in submission and honor, and honoring King Saul. Why? Because it was God's anointed. And because he has such a relationship with God, he honors God through Saul. Now, another great example is Gideon. Of course, Gideon, he is the mighty man of valor. That's what God named him. But I love this story because here we have Israel is in like this, this depression that's going on. It's like, it's beyond like empty shelves Biden. It's like a complete depression. I mean, the Biden inflation is increasing. It's like, it, it's, it's getting out of control. Yeah. And it's so bad that all of Israel is just complaining and just whining and complaining and whining and complaining. I mean, I imagine it's so bad that Gabriel walks into God's office like, we got to stop this. We got to stop. I can't take it anymore. They're just complaining, God. What are we going to do? And he's like, okay, okay, okay. Let's, Gabriel, calm down. Let me take a look. And he goes and he looks down at all of Israel and he goes, okay, there he is. That guy. I want that guy. Which one? The only one working. That's the one that I want. And there's Gideon in the wine press threshing his wheat. Why everybody else is complaining, he's in there working. And so, boom, angel of the Lord sits there, pops down on the, on the thing, goes, what's up? And of course, the angel of the Lord pops up and he says, appeared to him and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And Gideon starts complaining. Well, God, you promised this. And and God just ignores him. The angel just completely ignores him. He says, turn to, he turns to him and says, go in this might of yours. You shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Well, and he's complaining some more. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. So he goes, so Gideon's in the wine press and he stops and he goes, all right, if you're the Lord, I'll be right back. I got to go to the bank. I got to get something that's going to cost me something. I'll be right back. He goes and he gets a goat, prepares the thing, gets the broth and the veggies and all that. And he comes on back. There's the angel just chilling, waiting for him. Yeah, just put it over there. So he goes and puts it on the pile of rocks. The angel looks over and touches the stick on it. The thing incinerates and poof, the angel's gone. And Gideon goes, oh, my Lord, what do you want me to do? And he says, well, the first thing I want you to do is go tear down that idol. Go tear down that tower of Baal and do it now because I'm tired of looking at it. So number one, Gideon expressed honor. Okay, and now he goes back into fear. He goes, oh, I can't do it. They're going to kill me. If I tear that thing down, they're going to kill me. And again, he says, I don't care. I'm going to be with you. Go. So in his fear, he steps into courage, grabs a couple friends in the middle of the night, and he goes and he rips the thing down, lights it on fire like God said. And then the next morning, sure enough, the town wakes up. Who did this? We're going to kill him. They go, Gideon did it. Well, let's go get Gideon. And then they go and they find, and there's Papa Joash sitting at the door. 
you ain't getting my boy. And they said, bring him out. We're going to kill him. He goes, no. He goes, if your God is so epic, if he's so good, let Baal contend for himself. And Israel goes, oh, did he really just say that? Oh, snap. And immediately Gideon gets a nickname, Jerubel. Let Baal contend for himself. It's so good because this stuff reads like a movie. You guys got to get into this stuff. Anyway, so already we've seen honor. We've seen courage. And now, next thing you know, Gideon shows up with like 32,000 men ready to go into battle. 32,000 men. We're, we're just getting 3,000 men. It takes us a year to get 3,000 men up to Emerge Ranch. Come on, Rick. And Gideon, or Jerubal, shows up with 32,000 men, and God's got to whittle them all the way down to 300. But it's, a, it's an example of mastery. Because you don't, you don't get 32,000 people to show up with you unless you have some communication skill, unless you have some mastery, unless you've toiled with that. And then, of course, he goes on to, to have these battles and these epic battles where he, where he has these feats of strength and honor and courage and mastery. And as a result, he gives 40 years of peace to his people. Wow. Wow. So, so, so cool story, bro. Yeah, thank you. So how do we internalize this? How do we make this real for us? Because if Awakened Church is anything, we're a discipleship church. But again, like, what does that really, what does that really mean to have a discipleship church? It means how do we take what we're learning on Wednesdays and, and, Saturday, and Sundays and at men's prayer and at women's prayer, how do we take what we're learning and get it in here? How do we make it, how do we make it real? How do, how do we go out into the world and deploy our faith in our gifts, skills, and talents so that we can shine his light in a dark world? How can we do that? That's like our mantle. That's what, we're, that's what we're designed to do here. So if we're looking at courage, the point of courage, again, courage has to have the presence of fear. But we've got we to step in and take that step anyway. So how is this real to us? Can you take one more step to have that conversation? Can you take one more step to call somebody and make something right? Can you take one more step, men, and turn off that computer at night? Can you take one more step and restore a relationship? Seven to 18 years ago, I was a shy guy. I was an adult boy. I was a mess on legs. It took everything in me, everything, to ask this lady for her phone number. In a moment of courage. But this is why I start with, with the, the point of courage because this is why it's so potent. This is why it's synonymous with valor. Because I took that moment of courage to ask for her phone number, not only did my life change, but her life changed. And because her life changed, we created new lives, two of them. So your courage doesn't just affect you. It's for other people around you. Can you take one more step? Yeah. Okay. The next point is mastery, skill set. 
It's taking the repetition and the skill over and over and over and over and over and over and doing it again and again and again so that we can get better and better and better. Proverbs 22. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. So what I've noticed is the the more skill that I can generate within myself in my profession, the more valuable I become to other people. So as we're developing this skill set, there's, there's monotony, there's boredom that happens, like learning an instrument. There's these days where you're just like, I don't want to play that anymore. But you've got to do it again and again and again and again. And when the boredom sets in, you have to make the decision to continue. And when you make a decision, then you step into some willpower. And in willpower, as you know, where's my New Year resolution is, it's not very strong. It's not. But if you can stand in willpower for long enough to generate some discipline, and then if you can hang out in discipline for a bit, you can create some habits. And if you can create some habits, then you can get into identity and unlock your destiny. Okay? And that happens through repetition over and over and over again. Strength. Strength requires resistance. Where have we heard that before? Resistance. Resist the devil and he will flee. Now, men, we've got to resist. I love the Apostle Paul in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, because he's so intense. And he's like, I beat my body into submission. So when I preach, I won't be disqualified amongst you. So what's he saying? Be the real thing. Be the real thing. How can I stand up here and talk about this stuff if I don't own it? No notes, just talking from my heart. Strength, repetition, strength, repetition. But also God says, be strong in the Lord. We can take that strength, that spiritual strength, and hang on to that. And then, of course, we have honor. Romans chapter 12, seek to outdo each other in honor. And honor requires accountability to others. I can't honor Pastor Samuel without having accountability to him for that. You see? So it allows us to have accountability amongst our peers so that we have people that might say, hey, you're not being very honoring over there. It's like, whoa, what? Really? Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Honor. Honor. Yeah. So, some practical advice. Men, get to emerge. Ladies, get to cherish in September. Join our, our DNA. Learn the culture of our church. Join a connect group. Make this your, your peer group. The Bible says not to be unequally yoked with non-believers. See, we, again, we have to deploy our, our, our faith, deploy our gifts, skills, and talents into this world. But we need to not be unequally yoked. We have to come back in and be ministered to, to be lifted up, to, be, to see our cheerleaders again, our brothers in Christ, to be lifted up and to receive Holy Spirit again and again and again. Make this your peer group. And most importantly, Stick around. Stick around. Now, if you stick around here for long enough, 100% of the time, 
from everybody all the way up in the back row, all the way down to the front row, and even including me right here on the stage. 100% of us, if you stick around long enough, you're gonna get offended. Now, when you get offended, that trigger that you feel, that's your sympathetic nerve system, also known as your fight or flight system. Now, when you get offended, one of two things is gonna happen. You're gonna fight. Hey, why'd you say that to me? Ah! And we're gonna go, hey, mom, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to do that. But hey, did, did, did you know that you were bleeding over there? Did you see that wound over there? Like, oh, that thing's kind of nasty. You want me to help get that cleaned up? The other thing that's gonna happen, potentially, is you're gonna bail. Come on, honey, we're out of here. We're going to another church that doesn't offend us. And I'm not judging. I'm just saying this is what your nervous system is telling you to do when you get offended. It's saying, ha, huh? or it's like, I'm out. I'm popping smoke, I'm bailing. I know, I love that. Oh, thank you, Dr. Brian. Pop and smoke. But those are the two things that are gonna happen. And what God is saying is, stick around. Grow some roots. Stick around. Because if you stick around long enough, you can get healed up. Get offended again. Heal up. Get offended again heal up and get offended again and heal up and keep going and going and going and going and going strike again strike again strike again strike again strike again go and i've got to tell you this that that is my story when I came here, I was a broken mess. And I would get offended and I would just, oh, I'd have to stick around and just find out a way, like, why am I hurting so much? See, when I was a kid, I would make these stupid agreements, like something would happen and it would be like, oh, I'm never gonna let anybody hurt me again. Oh, I'm never gonna let anybody offend me again. Oh, I'm never gonna let anybody embarrass me again. And I'd be stuffing these agreements in my pockets. Next thing you know, I'm a teenager and I got these big old bags I'm carrying around. This bag of agreements. And by the time I'm an adult and I show up here, I've got this thing that's just weighing me down. And I'm just laboring under the weight of it. And I remember I was like Gideon in the wine press and I was just complaining and whining and moaning. I almost said a bad word. Boning. <laughs> I'm working it out too, guys. Oh, but I remember I was just complaining so much, so much that Jesus shows up in my life. And he says, son, do you know why? Do you know why you feel the weight of this? And I was like, no, I can't see it. I don't know why. Why am I hurting? Why am I so angry? Why am I so bitter? Why am I judging people? And I'm sitting there looking around going, I'm better looking than that guy. I'm smarter than that guy. I work harder than him. I put in more hours. Me, 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 me. 
All me. And Jesus says, do you want me to show you? And in a moment of courage, I said, yes. And he turns me around and I look and I see myself just buckling under the weight of all of these agreements. Just hurting inside. And I remember he said, do you want me to take it? Do you want me to take it? And I said, yes. It was the day I gave my life to the Lord. I said, take it. I submit everything in me to you. Every cell in my body, I give it to you. And friends, I'm here to tell you, there's a reason you're here tonight. Whether you've already given your life to the Lord or not. Let's have everybody close their eyes for a moment. If you're like me, and you could just feel the weight of things in your life. Friends, Jesus is here right now. I talk to him every day. I know that he is here. I can feel him. I can see him in my spirit. He's here right now. And if you take a big, deep breath, and you just quiet your mind for a moment, you're gonna hear him ask you the same question. Do you want me to take it? Do you want me to take the weight off of your shoulders because my burden is easy and my yoke is light. So friends, if you were like me and you just didn't want to carry that stuff around anymore, even if you didn't even know you had it, he's here right now asking. And if you're willing to to say yes to Jesus, to submit your life to him. When he did it for me, it was like, <gasps> the weight came off. And I could run around again. I could, I could laugh again. The joy came back in my life. And I'd run around and I, and I started serving out of my own abundance. I started giving. I started giving the best part of myself away, whether I was paid for it or not just giving freely. And he's no respecter of persons. What does that mean? It means if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. For each and every one of you, whether it's the first time or the hundredth time. So if you're like me and you want to give your life to Jesus tonight, would you go ahead and raise up your hand so I know who I'm praying with? Thank you, thank you, little girl. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? The first time I did this, I never raised my hand. Raising your hand doesn't get you into heaven. It's a decision in the heart. So I'm sure there's many like me that are here tonight that are making that decision. And that's okay, you don't have to raise your hand. But let's repeat this after me. Father God, thank you for sending your son Jesus on a rescue mission for my soul. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I give my life to you. Show me how to live a life of valor. Jesus, I love you. Amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.